This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Alex Craney, a CFO from Sysmax Americas, and this is the CFO of Data Podcast. This is episode 455. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's episode, we wind back the year and share with you some highlights from some of the thought leaders we touched base with during 2018. We begin after these words from our sponsor. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does. Your need to adapt. Your need to evolve. Your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, Visit us at Workday.com.
Okay, so once again, that was Cian Wang, CFO of FastSpring. He was clearly speaking in broad terms about how he sort of got into the CFO lane of his career. Uh, he wasn't speaking specifically uh, about FastSpring. However, next you're about to hear from Chris Lewick, CEO of FastSpring, where we did in fact ask and say, hey, how did you uh, come to hire CN? Uh, but 
uh, from that corp dev and finance role went into a, a CFO role and then uh, went on from there to, to the previous company I mentioned that went from $25 million to $100 million and, and now the fast spring. Uh, but I think it gives them a really uh, well-rounded and, and unique skill set that's uh, very, very valuable for, for us. I mean, we're, again, as a $3 million company, but we're still, we're still somewhat of a small company and people wear different hats. So uh, to see him, unfortunately for him, with his, with his legal background, is also our chief of counsel. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's you know a badge that, that he that he he wears, and you know he he, he has fans like where this is where we are in, in the in this part of the company. All right, so we're speaking to uh, Kevin Parker, who is CEO of HireVue. We, we asked him to take a look back for us, and in fact, it led to the CFO office. Share with us a little bit of your professional history and how you originally came up through the ranks as a CFO. Share with us a little bit of your professional history and how you originally came up through the ranks as a CFO. Great, great question and, and delighted to share. I actually, my career ambition was in public accounting. I started, I was an accounting major. I started out at Price Waterhouse uh, as an auditor and I thought that was my career ambition. But as I got to go as an auditor to more and more businesses, I really got drawn to understanding more about the way businesses operate. Uh, and so I left public accounting to be a controller for a company and then came up through the international controller and got aligned with the sales teams and things. But the more I got out in the world, the more I enjoyed just running business and, and being the CFO of a company was my dream job. I, I never had a, a desire to be a CEO. Seriously? Seriously. <laughs> I, I, that's All right, you I, caught me off guard here. I got <laughs> I to think about this. But along the way, when did you become sort of a big picture individual or someone who could really appreciate the vision of the company as well as, uh, you know, its financial state? Sure. I, ha I had the good fortune to be a sales controller for in a, a company in, in Southern California. And the VP of sales started taking me on customer calls. And I got to get out and see what was actually going on. And I was just riveted by it. And, and suddenly all the numbers, all the financials came to life to me in a very different way. And I was very passionate about getting involved in helping a company grow beyond the finance organization. And of course, that's the type of experience many finance executives out there would love to have. How did you... <laughs> when you find yourself at that on that sales call, anything come to mind about that first time you stepped into that office and here you are, this controller? What is he doing there? I mean, I, I was very fortunate, and, and the, the gentleman I'm thinking of, this, the VP of sales, turned out to be a great mentor for me and said, you know, I was a young guy at the time. He said, come on, kid, we're going on a sales call. And that just opened the door for me. And I, I remember sitting, it's like, just watch. Don't, you know, keep your mouth shut, sit in the back, listen and learn. And the more I did it, the more I enjoyed it and eventually wound up uh, moving out of the, the CFO role into a CEO role. As a CEO today, how does being a CFO inform your CEO leadership? Yeah, it, 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 it informs it in a lot of ways. One, I, I work pretty hard to stay out of it, <laughs> recognizing that I'm not that anymore. Yeah. And so to give the, the CFO plenty of room to operate and do it in their own style and their own way. But I think what I've tried to do for the CFOs that have worked for me 
is give them a very similar experience and pull them out of the process to say, let's go out and see customers. Let's get out into the marketplace. Let's go see you know, what's going on in a variety of ways and, and bring that message back to your finance team and, and share with them the importance of not just gap financial statements, but the importance in understanding the operating finance and the operating metrics of a business in a, in a new way. Now you, again, have been uh, CEO of multiple uh, middle market firms today. Is there a, uh, do you have relationships with private equity? How do you, how do, you do that uh, exactly? We, we, I have, and, and one of the companies I was a CEO of that we eventually took public was a private equity sponsored company. Uh, and I thought it was a terrific experience. Uh, just the alignment between what the investors were looking for was really pretty exciting. So it's, it's worked really well. Building those relationships, did your finance background, do you feel help uh, allow you to sort of connect with private equity in a way others might not I, I think it did. In, in retrospect, I hadn't thought about it, but I think it did. I mm -hmm. certainly understood the language and the vernacular of what they were looking for. You know, EBITDA and leverage were not a foreign term to me uh, as CEO. And sometimes, you know, that, that can be a new experience, but I think that the finance background has helped at every stage of my career, and it certainly helped in being involved with private equity. You mentioned the sales mentor, but you're also a, a pretty uh, established communicator after so many CEO tours of duty. Where did you get those skills? Along the way, did you have public speaking, or how did you get your, uh, because many finance executives uh, lack those skills. Uh, I, I, I couldn't even tell you. I, you know, it's one of the things I, I, it's something you have to just set your mind and say, well, I got to be good at this. And you work at it, and you think about it, and you work at it some more. And, uh, and I think if I do have one, I wouldn't describe it as a talent, but one thing I always try to do is, is take things and distill them down so everybody can understand them. You know, as a CFO, you could get up in front of the room and start talking about, you know, your, your weighted average cost of capital and your interest rates and things like that. You can see the audience's eyes glaze over when you start doing that. I've always worked pretty hard to make sure everybody can understand it and they can relate things back to the job that they're doing. What would you want in a CFO today? As a CEO? It's a, it's a great question, and, and I'm looking for a business partner, someone that wants to participate in the, with the rest of the executive team in running our business. You know, as I tell our CFO candidates, I'm not the least bit worried about our audits, our financial statements. We've got a world-class accounting team. It's the, all of the other things from a CFO perspective that somebody that wants to be out with customers, somebody that wants to help you know, the R&D the, the team, the marketing team, and things like that, help them run their parts of the business better. And another, and another experienced voice at the table from a leadership perspective. What was, can I just ask, and, and we'll wrap up, but what was, uh, you said you were the sales controller and you were going out on sales calls. What was your next step after that? What uh, happened after uh, that? I became a VP of finance uh, and then had my first opportunity from there to be the CFO of a public company, and this is 2000. Uh, so I became the CFO of a public company and then got recruited out of there to be the CFO of PeopleSoft. Uh, so, you know, sort of an interesting series of events. When was that, by the way? So I joined PeopleSoft in 2000. Oh, okay. So I was there through the hostile takeover and, and all of You've that. You've been around stuff. the block. I, I, uh, <laughs> it's gray hair and to, scar tissue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kevin Parker, thank you for joining us. Hello, we're attending the MIT Sloan CFO Summit this week in Boston, and we've caught up with Ken Goldman, CFO of Everbridge. We caught up with Ken Goldman. Over the next 12 months, what are your priorities, Ken, as a finance leader? 
to focus on growth and profitability. Uh, as a public company, our investors like to see continued revenue growth. Uh, that's how we get valued as uh, a public software company. And uh, given that we've now been public for over two years, they want to see some leverage in the model. They want to see that we can grow responsibly, meaning that it's not just all about growth, but that we can do it and deliver a bottom line profit as well. This is not the first company you've taken public. This is company number number three. Yes. Number three. What, what are some of the myths? Help us uh, private versus public. Help, help us understand having having gone through this. The third time. Well, everybody thinks about being a public company as the holy grail. Isn't it wonderful that uh, you've got a liquid stock? But the reality is every day uh, your investors vote uh, thumbs up or thumbs down in terms of how they feel about your performance. Uh, There's uh, a myth that good performance leads to good stock yield and not necessarily the case. Uh, Investors are fickle. And at the end of the day, you have to build not only a great company, but a great financial model. On a panel earlier this morning, we bl- I believe you mentioned how you're measuring employee satisfaction, or what was the me- metric you were talking about? Yeah, I talked about, about employee engagement, and the reality is because we're an employee-centric business, 850 employees around the world, uh, the more engaged our employees are, uh, the lower the turnover that we have in terms of employees don't always stay forever, and the more productive they are, and it becomes uh, a part of the compensation equation. If employees are happy... Uh, they, they don't require a substitute of cash. Ken Goldman, thank you for answering our questions. My pleasure. Hello, we're speaking to Dr. Steve Hunt of SAP Success Factors. Steve, how will we see AI influence the world of HR? You know, that's an interesting question. One, it already has. I think a lot of people don't realize that there have been applications of AI in HR for over 10 years. I built neural network predictive modeling algorithms for staffing and selection in 2005, 2006. What's happening, though, is it is now starting to be expanded, primarily because the technology for doing the machine learning that is AI has become very efficient, very affordable. It's basically a commodity almost at this point. And so companies are able to sort of put it everywhere, kind of like mobile, right? You can sort of apply any different things. But how it's influencing it, there's really kind of three ways of using AI. Because it, 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 the first one is to do what people think it is mainly. Oh, it's going to do sophisticated predictive algorithms to tell us about the future and all this. There are very few applications of HR that actually works because you need masses of data and very clear criteria you're trying to predict, you know, like turnover or retention. And then I say, we've been doing that in this field for a long time. We're just doing it more. And it's mainly around selection. The, and, and to some degree, turnover prediction. The other two areas, the, the second one where it's really taking off, and it's funny because I would almost call this artificial stupidity, is it's using AI to do tasks we could do but don't want to like really simple chat box, like figure out how to complete my expense report, you know, and what if I want to take vacation and need to transfer with somebody else, there's all these different policies. And I kind of joke that what we've learned is our HR policies are so complicated, it takes advanced mathematics to figure out how to do them. <laughs> but there, these are the chat bots and the things you hear about that, which is, you know, basically AI being like a really simple assistant for us. And that's taking off because it's just a user, a user interface enhancement. The third area where I think we're going to see stuff is using AI actually not to predict things or enable to help us understand things that are going on. And when I use AI, I'm really talking about 
complex iterative mathematical algorithms. I'm a mathematician, but basically pattern recognition through massive analysis of data. So it's, you know, it's not actually artificial intelligence. It's just math people. It's just really complicated math. So that's where I kind of see it going. Okay. The year is 2021. Is the annual performance review alive and well? As long as we operate off of annual financial calendars, we'll do annual reviews of some sort. Um, the actual traditional manager sit down in a forum, try to have, you know, talk about development, compensation, evaluation, all in one. That is already going away. What is not going away is people having to judge each other. <laughs> I mean, you have to. If you, if you manage people, you have to make decisions that require comparing people against each other. What companies are doing is they're saying there are much more effective ways to do this that are not about annual forums. It's more about using technology to have really good conversations about talent, being able to have access to who your talent is, knowing what they're doing, and then talking about talent throughout the year. So will the annual review go away? There's always going to be an annual component to it, as long as we're on annual financial calendars. But there, the idea, the traditional thing, yeah, it'll go. It's, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. So people are not doing it anymore. Steve Hunt, thank you for joining us. Thank you. We'll be back with more Thought Leader Minutes from our Highlights episode for 2018 after these words from our sponsor. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Hello, we're attending the MIT Sloan CFO Summit, and we're catching up with Ash Noah, AICPA's Vice President of CGMA External Relations. Ash, good to catch up with you. Good to be here, Jack. Thank you. Good to see you again. As always, we're uh, going to ask you to look forward for us, Ash. And um, In this digital world, what are some of the priorities for finance leaders as we move into 2019? I would summarize the whole approach into two buckets. And these are the two essential building blocks that are required to operate in this digital world. Uh, the first one is obviously addressing technology, addressing automation. And the other one, not to forget, is to address competencies and skills of your team. The technologies that you're implementing are causing a skill set shift. And as you implement these new technologies and as you automate more and more of your finance function, there is more capacity created for finance to be really focusing on the things they should be focusing on, which is really around developing the solutions and deploying the solutions. So. Uh, when, when one looks at the overall role of finance, it starts off with the assembly of information, then analysis of the information. 
And that assembly and analysis of the information through technology is being automated. And so what the people need to do now is the, the capacity that this automation has provided, the competencies need to be focused on now delivering the business partnering capability that we've always tried to provide the business but have failed. So there's a significant gap in terms of what the business requires in terms of business guidance to what finance is today providing. And we really need to be focused on closing that gap, helping business with strategy formulation, helping business operationalize the strategy, helping the businesses with managing risks, and really becoming a part of the execution rather than just being the scorekeepers on the sidelines shouting out the score to the players. We need to be, a part in, we need to be in the game, playing the game with the players. And that is the significant shift that we need to plan for as CFOs as we approach 2019. Some of what uh, we keep hearing uh, being echoed here as well as at other conferences uh, is that finance has to become more collaborative. Finance leaders should be encouraging their finance team members to be uh, collaborating at a, uh, in a much more robust way with other parts of the organization and you know if uh, a finance uh, team member and their finance colleague want to go out to lunch with perhaps some of the salespeople and And ask the question what type of data would you feel empower you in some way is that a uh, you know a forward-thinking motion for a finance leader to do is that going to cause some organizational disruption. It depends on the company, it depends on the culture, it depends on the workforce, it depends on the people. Um, there is a significant need for finance to understand the customer. The lack of understanding our value proposition of our products and services to our customer is key to be able to partner with the business. And the way of acquiring that knowledge is to actually spend time with the sales force. And I would, I would go beyond just having lunch with salespeople. What I would do is, as I had mandated my finance staff to spend a day every year, a whole day, with the salesperson. Going out on sales calls, visiting clients, hearing conversations, understanding why does the customer buy from us, what is the value that we are creating for the customer, How can we better support the sales team? And what does it take for a customer to buy our product or our services? I think it's an essential building block, which the understanding of which is missing in a lot of finance function, uh, in a lot of finance professionals today. And what is the mindset? Again, I'm I'm, I'm thinking that the finance person is going uh, down, having that conversation with the salespeople, trying to understand the visibility that the salesperson has into that customer relationship. What can they see? What can't they see? What maybe IT is capable of measuring that isn't yet part of that view that sales enjoys? I think, yeah, you you were talking about the type of information, KPIs, that come into play in understanding sales. So... so there, there is the whole customer interaction, understanding the customer, understanding our value proposition. And then there is measures around the sales success. In order to do that, you do need to spend time with the sales manager, 
with the sales director. What are the key KPIs? Key KPIs. <laughs> <laughs> what are the key performance indicators that sales use? And now there are two types of indicators. One is input-related, and the other is outcome-related. So, for example, number of sales visits, number of new sales visits, that's an input. But new business revenue generated is an output measure. And the effectiveness of sales is a combination of both. One needs to look at both input-related KPIs and output-related KPIs and understanding for each function, not just for sales, what are the inputs and what are the outputs and what are the efficiency KPIs as a result as you're measuring outputs as a ratio of the inputs. And so understanding that whole equation, what goes into the process, what comes out, and the effectiveness of it, that is how finance can better partner with the sales organization. And then you, you realize how many sales visits does it take to close a, a sale? What is the length of the sales cycle? What are the typical uh, roadblocks? What are the objections that the customer is raising to your value proposition? How do you overcome them? Understanding all of that in the interaction with the salespeople will really enable finance to get those insights and then be able to support the sales function in the production of the reports, what type of reports, what type of combinations of input KPIs and output KPIs will really help drive sales and revenue in an organization. Okay, we're here at the MIT Sloan CFO Summit speaking to Ash Noah about the sales function. Go figure. <laughs> Ash, thank you uh, for joining us. Thank you, thank you Jack. It was a delight speaking to you. Okay, that's part one of our Thought Leader Minute Highlight Reel. We'll plan to sneak in part two for you before New Year's. Thank you for listening. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.